Happy Thanksgiving, Real Life Families. Pastor Tim with you celebrating this week, a week of Thanksgiving. And I hope that you and your family had a wonderful time celebrating together, eating a lot, watching good football, and uh, just having a great time together. And uh, so today I want to just bring a, another message with, uh, to you about Thanksgiving and just how important it is to be thankful and have a, a heart of gratitude and to reflect on you know, all the wonderful things that God has done for us in our life. And Thanksgiving is very closely related to just worship, isn't it? It's where we, we acknowledge um, that God has been good to us and what we, we reflect on how God has been a blessing to us and the goodness of God in our lives. And so today, I just want to just take a few minutes with you just to pause and be thankful um, and share a story out of the Bible about thankfulness and Hopefully, it'll inspire you to take, take some time today or in the days ahead, or maybe you have already this week, just to reflect on the goodness of God in your life and to be thankful and to worship Him and to thank Him. So the story I want to share with you today is found in Luke chapter 17, and it's, um, it's a story of Jesus, and He encounters 10 lepers, and He heals them. And only one of them returns to give thanks to him. So let me read the story for you, and then we'll break it down and talk about it. So this is Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. What a great, amazing story. And I want to take time to just uh, dive into it a little bit, to bring a little bit more depth to our understanding of the story. Of course, on the surface, this is a story about someone coming back to give God thanks. And so uh, my obvious goal for us today is to inspire each and every one of us to just come back and give God thanks for what he's done. For you and for me to just give God thanks, looking back at what he's already done and, and reflecting on how God has been good to us, to turn back to him and say thank you, to worship him, to praise him, to acknowledge his hand upon our life. And that's, that's the overall goal of this message. So I hope that you're already ready to do that because Jesus, when he encountered only one who returned, said, where where are the other nine? Didn't I heal all of you? Didn't I heal all ten? Where, where are the other nine? Why, why isn't anyone else coming back to give God thanks? And so worship is really important, and it's important to God. It's important to Jesus that we acknowledge Him in our lives. And I also believe it unlocks other blessings for you and for me. And so let's talk this through a little bit. The context of this, and I want to take a couple different phrases. First of all, Jesus is on a journey. Um, it says, now on his way to Jerusalem. And this wasn't the only time Jesus had traveled to Jerusalem from Galilee up in the north. But this is the final time 
that Jesus is traveling from Galilee in the north all the way down to Jerusalem. This is the final time Jesus knows that he is on his way to make the greatest sacrifice of his life for you and for me, of actually giving his life on a cross to pay for our sin. Jesus is on his way to the cross. This is his final couple of weeks of life. This is his final trek through the north to the south. And it's probably taken him a couple weeks to do this with his disciples. So he is still ministry-minded, even in this moment, pouring himself out and healing people. But he's about to give his life uh, for all of mankind. The other context I want to develop is this idea of leprosy. The biblical understanding of leprosy is not a single disease that some modern uh, people are aware of called uh, Hansen's disease, but it's, it's broader than that. It could be any skin infection or uh, rash or even mold or mildew in a house, on a wall, or in clothing. But, uh, but there also probably was broader enough to include what we know today as Hansen's disease where, you know, um, there's deformity of the extremities of a person's body, and it's a horrible, horrible condition. In fact, in biblical times, if someone had leprosy or they had a skin infection or disease like, like this, which we're not exactly sure what their disease was, it's called leprosy, but it was some form of a skin disease. Um, and uh, it could have been the Hansen's disease, we're not sure. But it was enough for the people themselves who had this to be required to be excommunicated or not really excommunicated, excluded. Yeah, excluded from the community. So they were cut off from fellowship with their family, with friends, with their community. Even They couldn't even come to worship God. They, it was a devastating situation that these 10 men were in. They're, basically, they were living corpses because... Um, they were dead socially. They were dead, dying physically. Um, they couldn't be touched. They couldn't touch. They couldn't experience that. And the only people that could be around were other people who had the same disease. And so they'd have leper colonies. And those are the only people that you could be with because you were already infected. And so there was no purpose. There was no work. They couldn't work. They, couldn't, they didn't have a purpose. They didn't have a family. They couldn't worship. Uh, it really was viewed as the worst possible situation to be in. And, and they, they viewed it as punishment for sin and a curse from God. These people must have done something wrong, something bad to deserve this, right? And that was their understanding of the day. And so from a distance, you see these guys. It says, as, they, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. And from a distance, they were screaming out to Jesus because by law, they could not come close. They had to stay away from people. In fact, anytime someone came close to them, they'd have to start to say, unclean, unclean. In other words, stay away, stay away. Don't come any closer. I am infected, right? And so it was a horrible situation for them. And yet they heard Jesus was in the area and they're yelling out for him to have mercy on them because they had no hope. There was no cure, no known cure to this disease of leprosy that these men had. There was no hope except a miracle except God would intervene and do a miracle for their life. And then the other part of the, the background I want to give you before we break this story down is there's only one who returns, and it is a Samaritan. I don't want to get into a lot of details here just because of time, 
But Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. They had a long history of division that goes all the way back to when the north and the south kingdom of Israel was split under Rehoboam. And, uh, and, uh, and the northern kingdom was defeated by the Assyrian Empire. They took most of the Jews out of the country and then brought in other foreigners that intermixed and intermingled with those who were left behind. And so they were viewed by the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, uh, or which, you know, uh, which is where Jesus was going to Jerusalem. They viewed the northern part you know, it was a mixed breed and idolaters because they created their own place of worship and they kind of mixed some other religious ideas into Judaism and they kind of had a mishmash of beliefs. And there was animosity between them and there was disagreements between them and there's a long history of, of problems between them. And so basically, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Samaritans did not associate with Jews. And we see this in the story when Jesus is speaking uh, to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan, and his disciples were aghast. They couldn't believe, number one, he's talking to a woman, but a woman who was a Samaritan. I mean, this is just, this is uncool, and, and it's, it's against the rules. It's against all social order. You don't do that. These are not we don't, we don't deal with these people, right? We're not on the same page. And so anyway, the one who did return to Jesus, though, was a Samaritan. We don't know if the other nine were also Samaritans or they were Jews. We don't know. We just know that, that this foreigner, Jesus called him, had enough thankfulness and recognition to come back to God. And it's just a reminder that God is no respecter of persons, is he? That whatever God uh, does for one, God can do for anyone. And because he loves all of us. He loves all of us, even the least among us. And to a Jew, a Samaritan definitely would have been a least among other people, especially one infected with leprosy. And so keep that in mind as we kind of break this down. And there's just a couple statements I want to make a point of. Number one, Jesus says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't um, heal them on the spot. He just gives them a command. He says, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, what is this all about? Well, Jesus did not heal them in that instance, instant, but he gave them a command to follow. And God will always challenge you and me to live by faith. And he's, he's telling them to do something, and now these guys have a decision to make. Will they listen to what Jesus said and obey and do what he said uh, and have faith that things will work out? Because when Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests, he's implying that by the time they get to the priests, they will be healed. Why do I say that? Because in Leviticus chapter 14, there's an entire chapter that... Uh, lays out how a person can be restored from a skin disease or from leprosy. And when they are healed from that disease, they need to go to the priest. And then there's a sequence of events and sacrifices and things, and cleansings that they need to do to just get verified and cleansed through the priest and through the sacrifices and through the rituals that they needed to go through. But it all implied that they had been healed. So when Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, he's saying, I'm going to heal you. Now go and watch what happens. I mean, that's really pretty much what he's saying. 
He's not, because the priest didn't have any power to heal anyone. They only had the authority to see that the person has been healed and to lead them through the sacrificial you know, requirements to be cleansed, to be cleansed and to be reinstated into worship, into fellowship, and into society at large. And so Jesus is giving them a promise, basically, saying, listen, if you go and show yourselves to the priest and you listen to me, you will be healed because you wouldn't go to the priest unless you were healed. So these guys had a decision to make. Do, well, I mean, I don't feel any different. I don't look any different. But Jesus told us, told me to go. So am I going to do that or not? Am I going to believe him or not? And Jesus is always going to challenge you and me to live by faith, to trust in him, to follow his word, to put it into practice. And so these guys made the right decision. They just decided, let's go. We're going to do it. We're going to start to walk towards the priest. We're going to take the journey towards the temple. We're going to follow what he said to do. And by doing that, they were believing that they were going to be healed. It's just so awesome and so powerful. And so my first challenge to you is to continue to trust in God. Whatever God is saying, whatever God is doing, trust in him like these lepers did. They heard Jesus give a command and they decided to trust in him and do what he said. All right. The second phrase I want to point out is it says, as they went, they were cleansed. <laughs> this is such a cool story. As they went, they were cleansed. So that means, number one, they were not healed in the moment that Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. They were not. But as they obeyed Jesus' word and they began to go physically, they did what Jesus said to do. As they went, the healing took place. And we don't know if it was at an instant, at some point on their journey. Okay, so they turn, they start walking, they start taking this journey. Maybe it's uh, 10 minutes, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's uh, you know, a couple of hours. We don't know. And all of a sudden, bam, all of a sudden they're all healed and they feel it and they see it. And they're like, whoa, it could have been like that. Or it could have been a gradual thing, which I kind of think it was probably more like a gradual thing. It's just my opinion. There's nothing in scripture that tells us how this happened. All it says is as they went, they were cleansed. And I can see them walking and all of a sudden not noticing anything at first, but the, the body begins to heal. Maybe if they had lost some fingertips or toes or ears or, you know, things began to grow back and all of a sudden the skin started to change color. And then, I mean, it was like, oh man. And they just kept going and kept seeing more and more of the healing taking place. And maybe within a couple hours of their journey, the, the healing completed in the body. It just, that would be fascinating. <laughs> that would be so cool uh, to be a part of that experience. But they were healed as they followed Jesus, as they obeyed his word. And I want to just challenge you with my second thought. Trusting in God is believing what he says, but then obeying God is doing what he says. Trusting in God is believing in what God says, but obeying God, right? That's, that's doing it. That's doing what God says. And that's what faith is all about. Faith is believing and acting, isn't it? We hear the word of God and we walk it out. 
And as these guys were walking it out, their faith was on display. The miracle came to pass. And it's the same for you. It's the same for me. We've been talking about faith a lot lately. And I just want to continue to encourage you to live by faith. Just believe what God says in His Word for you. Let Him speak it into your heart. Get it deep inside of you. And then walk it out. And as you go, you will see the, your faith activate the will of God in your life. Amen? All right. And thirdly, I want to share another phrase. It says here, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And my final point here is, be the one. You be the one out of the ten, right? You be the one to give thanks to God. You be the one who comes back to God and praises Him like the Samaritan man. You be the one who drops at Jesus' feet in worship. You be the one who recognizes God's mercy and His grace in your life. This is a response. This is a worshipful response to the goodness of God in your life. What has God done in your life? As you look back, where can you see the hand of God upon you? What miracles has He done for you? How has He provided for you? How did you come to know Him? How did you experience your salvation? Who did God put in your life to love you, to bless you, to be there for you, to comfort you, to give you wisdom and grace? What events did God allow you to experience in your life to draw you closer to Him or to bless you? And there's so much that we can see that God has done in our lives but have we returned to Him to give Him thanks? Have we acknowledged what God has done? Have you done that? Do that. Do that. Why? Well, because God deserves it, but also because there's more that God wants to bless you with. And when we acknowledge God, when we see that God is the one that's responsible for the blessings in our lives, for the gifts and the grace and the mercy in our lives, when we worship Him, God pours even more of His blessing out on us. Because I want to share with you this guy. He, he, um, Jesus said to him at the end, my final statement is, He said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Um, the Bible uses this word in the Greek for well, which is, uh, means salvation. In other words, it could have been translated, rise and go, your faith has saved you. Now, salvation, as I often say, has three different meanings or three, uh, not different, but all built in together. The whole definition of salvation is forgiveness of sins, the healing of sicknesses and diseases, and the deliverance of evil, from evil. And, and so you can, you can see the same word for salvation used in the New Testament, in the Greek language, for stories where Jesus cast demons out of people, for stories when Jesus said, um, your sins are forgiven, and for stories where Jesus healed people of sicknesses or diseases. And so the full meaning of salvation is healing, deliverance, and forgiveness. Now, we don't know 
all of the story, but there's something going on that's extra for this Samaritan who returned to God. I believe the other ten, the other nine who didn't return, they experienced part of salvation, didn't they? Out of the three parts, we know that they experienced for sure the healing of a, of a disease. But I don't know about the other parts. I don't know if if they were saved and forgiven of their sins. I don't know if they were delivered of any other bondage in their life. But we know this guy, it seems, Jesus is implying that he is receiving even more than what he just received in terms of healing. And it seems like he's applying to this man the forgiveness of sins, the deliverance from evil, the whole package of salvation, if you will. And I believe that God always has more for us and when we acknowledge Him in our lives, it opens the windows of heaven for God to be God to us, in us, and through us. And that's why worship is so important, to put ourselves into the presence of God, to have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude and recognition that God, you are God, and you are with me, and all that I have is yours, and you have blessed me, and now I give it all back to you. And it just continues the flow from heaven to earth when we acknowledge God's activity in our lives. One other thought I had for you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I've often thought about that. How do we give thanks in all circumstances. It just doesn't seem possible. It's easy to give thanks when God does a miracle in your life like this man who's cured of leprosy. Although maybe it's not that easy because only one out of ten did. But in either case, the idea is when God does something great, it's much easier to give thanks in those circumstances. But the Bible doesn't say, you know, to give thanks uh, when God does something good for you. But it says, give thanks in all circumstances, even if those circumstances are difficult or hurtful or painful. And it's just an interesting thought that as uh, studying this, uh, this story, I came across an article about leprosy and a modern doctor who has done vast research on Hansen's disease. And he says it's really not a disease of a skin infection. It's a disease of the nervous system. And the disease attacks the nerve endings uh, of the body, which causes a person with Hansen's disease to not have any feeling, no pain. And so literally people could be sleeping on the street uh, with leprosy, uh, a homeless person, for instance, and a rat could eat their finger off during the night and they wouldn't feel any pain at all, wouldn't even know it happened until they woke up because the nerve endings are what get, gets attacked. And so, um, and so the, the doctor said, and I remember this quote, he said, the greatest gift I could give my patients would be the gift of pain. And I'm like, wow, what a thought. That's such a crazy thought that pain is actually a gift. And it, it got me thinking about that because recently in one of our messages, we were talking about um, our emotions and our thoughts and how we can have experienced trauma in our life and pain, soul pain, you know, emotional pain, uh, being hurt, uh, having maybe regrets or guilt in our life that causes us pain, or maybe people that have done things to us 
uh, that's made us mad or hurt us, has caused us pain. And then it creates these thoughts and these thoughts dictate our life. And we can live in pain. We can live in hurt. We can live in bondage. And what we typically try to do is just cover up the pain, right? We just try to cover up the pain. And yet one of the points I was trying to make back then uh, in that message was actually the pain is a gift. It's like a signal on the car dash uh, saying, hey, there's a problem. There's a problem, right? Instead of trying to tape over the, the blinking light that's telling us there's a problem, instead of covering up our pain with uh, just drugs or activity or burying it deep in our soul, it's actually a gift to say, look, there's a problem. Something's wrong. So we need to trace the pain, right? To get healing, not cover up the pain. And I thought in this example too, that God wants us to even see the difficult circumstances as an opportunity for us to draw closer to Him. And it's a gift to rejoice in trials and troubles, not because we're suffering, but because that suffering can produce in us character and a closeness to God that otherwise wouldn't happen. And so I want to just challenge you with these last couple of thoughts. How can you give thanks to God in all circumstances? Maybe you're facing some circumstances right now. And you're like, I can't give thanks to God for this. This is terrible. This is bad. This is evil. This is broken. I'm in, I'm in trouble. I'm in pain. I'm in hurt. But the Bible tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. So how do we turn our attention off of the negative circumstances to a heart of thanksgiving. How do we do that? I just want to give you three quick things to remember. And these are very familiar verses to us, but just keep these three things in mind if you're facing a difficulty right now. God wants you to turn his attention, your attention to him. He wants you to pray. He wants you to give thanks. Um, he wants you to rejoice because of these three things. Number one, God is working all things to your good. He is. He is working all things to your good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called, uh, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a promise of God that you can hold on to. No matter what you're going through, God is at work right now to turn all things to your good. He is working towards your ultimate good. Number two, God is always present with you. He's with you. He's with me. No matter where we go, remember Jonah, no matter how far we go, no matter how deep or, or how far we fall from God or even run from God, even there, God is there. God is with you even now. He's with you and you can give thanks that you can draw on his presence right now in these circumstances. Hebrews 13, 15 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never. God is with you. And thirdly, God is going to finish what he started in you. Not only is God working all things to the good, not only is God with you, but God's a finisher. He's going to complete what he started in you. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you with these words. Be thankful today, no matter what's going on. Look back and celebrate what God has done, how he has finished different things in your life, 
and give him praise. Come to his feet, praise him, give him thanks, recognize his hand in your life, and he will continue to pour more and more into you. If you're going through some difficult circumstances, just remember those three things. Hey, God, he's working this out for my good, and he's with me, and he's gonna finish that good work he started. So I just pray that you take time today, and this week, and every day, to live with a thankful heart, a heart of gratitude. So let's pray and give God thanks right now, okay? Well, God, I just, I'm so thankful, we're so thankful for how you have been faithful to us throughout our lives. Even when we haven't been faithful, you have been to us. And Lord, in particular, I just wanna say thank you for my family. Thank you for our families, Lord, and our friends and those that um, have poured so much into us. And thank you for saving us. Thank you for coming and never giving up on us. And thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you, that we can follow your word because your word is power. It's true. And Lord, as we trust in you, as we have faith in you, as we follow you, we know that your hand is at work, working all things to our good, and that you're always with us and you will finish what you began. So I just pray a blessing of praise, worship, um, and thankfulness upon my brother, my sister watching right now, that you'll just stir up in us a heart of worship, a heart of recognition and acknowledgement of your goodness to us. And may our eyes be fixed on you, Jesus, not on the negativity. May our souls um, be filled with your peace as we feast on you, as we worship you as we experience your love. May we just continue to be filled to overflowing with a river of living water with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me bless you uh, before you go, okay? Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen.